first question was, what ended in 1896? And someone, some kid said 1895. Name the quadrilateral hope. Literally name them. Bob, Sam, Tedison, Kate, and Harry. The extra credit is, what is the strongest force on earth? This kid said love. Why would a teacher mark that wrong? Write an example of a risk. This. <laughs> Frankie earns money at home. I am a freeloader. <laughs> Tony practiced the piano 20 minutes every day. Effect, he is a big nerd. To change centimeters to meters, you take out centi. Okay, no, I, what is the highest frequency noise that a human can register? Mariah Carey with three hearts. The diagram below best illustrates, this kid marked all of them and said giraffes are heartless creatures. Why they gotta be heartless for? Draw a picture of what you will look like in 100 years. In 100 years I will be <laughs> if I am late for class I will burst into class and comment on mr. Thomas's mustache mr. Thomas will blush and say thanks describe the shape and structure of the Milky Way I already know where this is going it's kind of like a long bumpy rectangle it's completely covered in milk chocolate but inside there are two delicious layers chocolate tea nugget and caramel and the teacher better not have counted that wrong if you want specific you need to say you want specific. That will be my kid, I guarantee you. Hey, Kairos, it is so good to be with you. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here, and uh, I love worship with you all. Um, and I love worshiping with people who are with us online, and also people who are in Iowa City. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn to that camera really quick and just wave and say, Hi, Iowa City, on the count of three. One, two, three. So glad to be with you all. Hey, has anybody ever here ever struggled on a test? Tests can be hard. And it's why we sometimes provide sometimes the most ridiculous answers on those tests. Tests are not fun. There are a couple of different reasons why tests are not fun. In some situations, it's because we just genuinely do not know the answer and what we're supposed to say. When I was in eighth grade, I will never forget this. We had a rocks test. And we had to be able to name what kind of rock this was based on the color of the rock. You may know this about me. I'm colorblind. My teacher had no grace on me whatsoever. She didn't believe me. She said, where's your doctor's note? Could I have prepared ahead of time and gotten that ready? Yes, I could have. But I scored a 52% on that, on that test. I will never forget it. Now, you might say that's terrible. I might say that over half the time, I guessed right. Like, that's not bad, right? Like, sometimes tests are scary because we just don't know the answer. Other times, tests are scary because it's something that we just, like, cannot do. Like it's something that I'm scared of what that's going to be like and I don't know if I can actually get through it. Do you remember when the COVID tests first came out? Do you remember how scary that was? When you were told, you've been exposed. Like talk about things that we didn't really say before two years ago. Hi, uh, just need to let you know, you've been exposed. Like it's just this daunting feeling. Not just because you've been exposed to a virus but because you knew about that test. And you knew about that stick that they were going to shove up your nose and touch your brain with and tickle it. You know what I mean? I remember going into my first COVID test shaking, horrified. I drive up into that little tent that they had and they said, are you ready for this? And I asked them, how bad is it going to hurt? And they're like, oh, not that bad. My brain was feeling things that I'd never felt before. I mean, physically feeling it. It was terrifying. I was scared. Tests, we don't like them because we don't always know the answer. Tests, we don't like them because sometimes they're scary. And yet, tests are around us all the time. I hate to be the one who breaks this news to you, but you probably will not get to the end of this semester without going through a test, right? And that's not fun. 
Now, tests, although they are scary, they are an important and necessary part of life. They don't have to be a bad thing. The things that are listed for us in the Bible are not bad things for us, but they're actually good things for us. They help us grow. And you know what's in the Bible? Tests are in the Bible. Now, not the kind of tests that you might think that it is, and not necessarily tests that you have to be so afraid of that you couldn't take them. A test is a good thing, according to the Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, the beginning of the chapter that you read from tonight, uh, it says, sometime later, so at some point in this guy named Abraham's life, God tested Abraham's faith. Dozens of times throughout the Bible, dozens of times, it uses this word tested, both in the Old Testament in the Hebrew and in the New Testament in the Greek. God himself was willing to be tested. Jesus walked into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat anything. And he's tested, tempted by the devil. I mean, you think that tests are hard when you've slept the night before, when you've got a nice breakfast in you. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think he was a little hangry? But he, he passed the test. Tests show up in the Bible, and it's important that we know what the test is. Sometimes we get scared of tests because we think that tests are tricks. But know this, God doesn't trick you. God might test you, but God does not trick you. And here's how you know the difference between the two. A trick is something that Satan sends your way. And a trick is something that makes you feel shame about yourself. But a test helps you know yourself. And let me just also add to that, a test also helps you know your need for God. A test is not a bad thing. A test is something that we're able to evaluate through. We can evaluate ourselves. We can evaluate our need for God. And also, it is true, a test is also an opportunity for an instructor to evaluate where we're at too. But the test is for the sake of growth. The test is not to trick you. You will not find in the scriptures where God tries to trick people. God doesn't trick you. And if you ever feel like you're in a situation where you're like, am I being tested? And you're just feeling terrible about yourself. If you're feeling ashamed, that thing that tells you I'm bad, you can know that's not from God because God from the very beginning of the Bible says you are good. A test makes you feel shame about yourself, or a trick makes you feel shame about yourself, but a test helps you know yourself. So let's talk about how God helped this guy named Abraham to know himself. Now, Abraham, his name wasn't always Abraham, so this is kind of tricky. His name was originally Abram. Turn to the person next to you say, Abram. You may have heard of Abram or Abraham before. He's one of the most famous characters in the entire Bible. And tonight we're talking about kind of the climactic point of his life. Like this crazy moment. And this is a story that nobody ever wants to talk about because it is a test and it is a scary test. And it is one of the craziest, most offensive, disturbing scenes in the entire Bible. And yet God uses it as an opportunity for Abram slash Abraham's growth. At the beginning of our interactions with Abram in the Bible, he's still called Abram at this point, says the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. So this is long before we picked up in Genesis chapter 22, where it says that God tested Abraham's faith. This is long before then. This is when we first meet Abram, who will soon be Abraham in the Old Testament and in the book of Genesis. And God says, I'm calling you somewhere. I'm calling you. Now, this is the first sign of a test, right? Abraham doesn't know where he's going. In fact, it says, I just want you to leave what's comfortable. 
You're feeling comfortable. Life might be easy for you right now. And oftentimes tests will call us out of comfort. Again, not to trick us, but they'll call us out of comfort into uncomfortable places, not to make us feel bad about ourselves, not to ruin our lives, but instead to give us a fulfilling life. Oftentimes a test starts with a call. So when you're going through a test, how do you trust God through the tests in your life? When you don't have the answers, when you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's showing up, you can't see. I think that's another sign of a test. You can't see the answer, can you? One of the most horrifying parts about sitting in a classroom with a test in front of you is the answer key has been taken away. Now, if you're taking an online test and you're tempted to look in your own personal study guides, don't do it. It's not worth it. You're not going to get a real evaluation. But in an honest test, the answer key is taken away. We don't get to see. And in this test that God is giving Abram, he says, you're not going to see where I'm taking you, but, but I'll show you. I'll show you. There are tests in our lives where we don't get to see what's coming our way. And yet we have the opportunity to trust. I remember when I was a kid, I was at this place called Discovery Zone Kids. Uh, It was probably before your guys' time if you grew up in the central Iowa area. And I think that this place had to have closed because it was just a lawsuit waiting to happen. It was an indoor jungle gymnasium. One, you could break an arm. Two, you could pick up any virus that's out there. Because back in those days, they didn't disinfect anything, right? I mean, you see kids just licking the bars, the monkey bars. Just, oh, it's so tasty. Like, how did we live before, like, 2005? I don't know. But there was this one ride, if you'll call it, in the jungle gymnasium, whatever it was. And it was like one of those hand glide rails, you know? And you hold on to the hand glide rail, and, and you slide on it, and then you, you land in, like, some, like, frighteningly small and thin pillows just on the ground. <laughs> and I was so excited about it. I don't know how old I was the first time I went up, but I remember feeling very excited. I'm climbing. I see other kids like holding on and sort of, you know, and they crash. And like, that looks fun, right? Until I get to it. I get to the top. And when you're a child, everything seems bigger. It seems so big. It's like I couldn't even see the end of this like alleyway, this thing that this handrail was going to take me down. And I freeze in my fear. I freeze in my fear. I couldn't move. My little knees are shaking. You know, I'm like, "Ah, ah, I'm never going to make it back down. Like the thoughts that go through your head when you're a child. But then I heard a familiar voice. And the familiar voice that I heard was my dad. My dad saying, Danny, I got you. Danny, come on. And it's like I couldn't see the end of it, but he could see me. And he could keep his eyes on me. And so the question is, when you're going through a test, just because you can't see what's coming, does that mean you have to stop? No, it does not mean that you have to stop. Amen. When you don't see what's coming, you can know that somebody does see you. When you're faced with conflict, when you're faced with a test, when you're faced with a call and you're scared to move forward and you can't see what's coming your way, you can trust this. There is someone who sees you. You can answer that call. Answer the call. When we talk about trusting through a test, trusting God through a test, Knowing our need for God in that test, it starts with answering the call. You ever been afraid to pick up a phone call? You ever been scared about who's on the other line? When I was uh, wanting to propose to my wife, I needed to talk to her parents. 
And so I texted her mom, and, and her mom was, I think, pretty excited, so that was good. And then I was going to be calling her dad, and I tried calling him, and it wasn't. I tried texting him, and the, like, the service wasn't working. I tried calling him. I had, I, he missed my call. And so I'm like really scared. I'm like, oh my goodness, what if, what if we never have this phone conversation? And, and then like 20 minutes later, my phone just, you know what I mean? And I look at him like, Alex Gardner. Oh my goodness, right? Like, like, oh my goodness, I'm terrified to answer the call and I'm so scared. Now, what if, I mean, I get it, this is totally ridiculous and, 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 and not possible. Like, what if I literally never answered that call? What if I just threw away my phone and disappeared, right? Like, my life was plenty comfortable, it was plenty fine, but I was being called into a new place of life. Like, what if I don't answer that call? And I really just want you to ask yourself that question, like, what if you don't answer the call? God's not going to make you answer the calls that he puts on your life. And yes, sometimes the calls that God puts in your life will be scary. You don't know where you're going. But you do know that he sees you. What if you don't answer? I mean, seriously, the best things that we experience in life are when we leave the comfortable places and instead we go into the place of a fulfilling life. Answer the call. Answer the call. God makes this promise to Abram. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. This is the call that God has for Abram. I will make you into a great nation on the next slide. God makes this promise to Abram, but sometimes those promises do not seem like they're being fulfilled. Sometimes the hardest part of a test is that it is long. You ever taken a test that takes the entire class period? And you're like, am I ever going to get this done? It's not just the tests that happen in a classroom, but it's also sometimes the grueling experiences in our lives that feel like they're not coming to an end. Now, in this long-form test, in these long-form tests, there's something really special that happens inside of our souls. Like, there are the things that we're consciously evaluating, but then there are the things that we're subconsciously evaluating. There are the things that our souls are evaluating and that our souls are bringing to the light. And one of the things that you find out in the test, especially in the long-form test, when it feels like you're not getting to the end and it's just taking forever, you, you start to find out like you're non-negotiables in life, don't you? You start to find out what you really want. You start to find out what you're really living for. Abram was promised, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abram. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You are going to have descendants. Now, that was a big thing back in those days, an enormous thing. See, we live in a world that's a very individualistic type society. Like, we like to think of our own goals. We like to think of the things that bring us personal success. But back in those days, everything, everything depended on the success and the well-being of your family. And this is why back in those days, descendants and ancestors were so significant to people. If you didn't have a descendant, specifically, if you didn't have a son, you had no one to carry on your family name. You had no one to carry on your family's wealth. You had no one to carry on your family's land. And you would disappear into the history books. Your life would seem meaningless. Abram and his wife, Sarai, who would eventually become Sarah, they were getting pretty old. This is a long test. It seemed like it would never end. And they didn't have children. And I wonder how many people looked at their life and said, it's a failure. And I know to us in 21st century where it's individualistic, we think that's nuts. That doesn't make any sense. But to them, it made all the sense in the world. If I can't have this, if I can't provide this, if I can't see this in my life, if this doesn't happen now, my life is a failure. And I'll be utterly disappointed and dissatisfied. 
Now, we can say, well, that's a problem that they dealt with back then, but of course it's something that we deal with now. When we think about our faith, sometimes it looks like an equation. I brought this up in a sermon on a Sunday recently, but I want to make sure that everybody sees this. Oftentimes we believe that faith looks like an equation like this. It's God plus me equals what I want. God plus me equals something. And if you want to find out what your, no, go back. If you want to find out what your non-negotiable in life is, you find, you, you ask yourself, what's the thing on the other side? Go back a slide, please. Thank you. You go, <laughs> I promise, I promise there's a reason. Uh, anyway, if you want to find out what your non-negotiable in life is, if you want to find out what your God in life is, be honest about what's on the other side of that equal sign. God plus me equals what? And if the thing that's on the other side of the equal sign is anything but God, you're worshiping something other than God. God is a means to your end. God is not your God. God is an assistant to get you what you really want. God is not your God. Why do you listen to God? Do you listen to God because God gives you what you want, or do you listen to God because God is God? The right way to look at this equation is God, and it just so happens is with me, so God and me is greater than anything. God, who chooses to be with me, is greater than absolutely anything. For Abram, it was, I just so desperately want a son. It's like he's putting the test back on God. Hey, if you're going to be faithful to me, I mean, my goodness, aren't you going to provide? Aren't you going to do this for me? And it's, Abram, it's God plus me. What's your God? Know this. Being with God is greater than anything in this universe. Being with, I mean, what is the point of this life if we don't have a creator who gives us hope beyond this life. I mean, what do we do? Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die? Know that there is a God who is greater than any sort of want or thing that we have. I want to encourage you this. Find the most important non-negotiable in the world and hold on to it. When you are trusting through the test, hope in the right thing. Make God your non-negotiable. Everything else is negotiable. Make God your non-negotiable. Abram shouts out to God, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? I mean, come on, I need this. And God promises him, no, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will do this for you. I promise this for you. And then it tells us in Genesis chapter 21, the Lord kept his word. Listen, we're not supposed to test God. We don't need to test God. God is the God of promises. And because God is perfect, God does not make a promise that he does not keep. But when you do trust God, and even when our intention behind it is wrong, that doesn't change the results of God's tests. He's 100%. And the extra credit. The Lord kept his word. The Lord kept his word. And this is why you've likely heard of Abraham before. Even if you're a person who's not necessarily so certain about your faith, there's a good chance that you and well over half the world has heard of this name, Abraham. 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 And think, what are the odds of that? What are the odds that Abraham would become this, uh, just the, this, this famous character that would transcend thousands of generations? What are the odds that this forgotten man who seemed like his life had passed him by because his test was taking too long, what are the odds that that guy is the one who's remembered? What are the odds that that's the guy that you sing the song about in Sunday school? You ever heard that song before? Father Abraham. 
had many sons. Anybody remember it? Sing it with me. Had many sons, had father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Oh, you know it, don't you? You know there's some actions. I think we can make that song a little bit more fun. Henry, will you come up with me? Will you guys stand up? Can you guys sing this song with me? Like, I mean, really, this is a name that has surpassed the generations. I'm serious. Go ahead and stand on up. Uh, hey, Henry, I need, you to, uh, I need you to lay me down a fat beat. Come on, here we go. Okay. I like it. Why not, right? Here we go. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. Throw those arms! I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, turn around, sit down. Oh, all right, you can take a seat. Thank you, Henry. Man, like what are the odds that that's the guy we're singing about today? We're singing about that guy today because God always passes the test. We don't need to pass the test. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he says to Satan, do not, do not test the Lord your God. Why? Because you don't have to. If God kept his promise to a seemingly meaningless guy like Abram, don't you think God's going to keep his promise to you? God kept his word. And Abram, slash Abraham, he could hold on to that. He could hold on to that. And that's why when God puts this new and huge test on Abraham's life, Abraham could still trust him through that test. Remember Genesis chapter 22, it says sometime later. So now we're in that sometime later. God tested Abraham's faith. It was time for Abraham to know himself a little better and to know his need for God. Do you remember that first call that God put on Abraham's life? It says uh, that he said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. It's so interesting. God put that call on Abram long ago. And now for Abraham, same guy, he puts out like this strangely similar call. Take your son. Go to a new place. Your only son. This son that you've been waiting for, his name was Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah. Moriah is a, a mountain where later on a temple would be built. Leave the comfortable again. The, the, the test continues. It says, now here's where we get really uncomfortable. And here's where the story gets so disturbing and so offensive. Hang on to that feeling as we go through the rest of this story. Go and sacrifice your son, your only son as a burnt offering on the mountain, which I will show you. Why does God keep on doing this to Abraham? Go ahead, get up, leave the comfortable. You're not going to see what's going to, you don't see what's coming your way, but I will show you. I will show you. The story's moving so quickly. I'm like, it's like, my goodness, how could they just so insensitively write this story? I mean, this is bothersome. This truly is the story that nobody wants to talk about. When the family gets together, Isaac's not bringing this up at the dinner table. Hey, Dad, remember that time when you were going to kill me? Now, keep in mind, God didn't say, go and murder your son. He said, offer him as an offering. And as crazy as it sounds, 
Abraham understood what the Lord was saying. See, in those days, they had this understanding of offering, and what would you offer up? You would offer the first of something. You would offer the thing in your life that has come first in honor and respect to the God who is first in your life. And so, like, with the first fruits, they would offer the first fruits of a harvest to God because God comes first. In their minds and what they believed in their hearts is the first belongs to God because God is first. It's not God plus me equals something. It is God who chooses to be with me is greater than anything. And so what Abraham is hearing here, Abraham is hearing is the first belongs to God. And I'm offering it to him. And again, I hope that is disturbing to you. I hope that's offensive to you. I hope that that is bothersome. Hang on to that as we go through this story. The story actually starts to slow down in verse 6 when Isaac is walking with his father and he's starting to pick up what's happening. He says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replies. Where's the sheep? I know we're on our way to Moriah to offer up a sacrifice and offering, but where's the sheep? And this is what just, I mean, if I only read this story and keep this story alone, this is what makes me so mad. It's so unfair to Isaac. Everybody knows the answer to that question. God knows the answer to the question. Abraham knows the answer to that question. The narrator knows the answer to the question. The audience knows the answer to the question. But poor Isaac, where's the sheep? Everybody knows the answer. You're the sheep. That is disturbing. That is offensive. It's disgusting. But Abraham responds with a word of hope. He says, God will provide. God will provide. But there's something so special about the word provide. It's in the, in the Hebrew, it's ra'ah. Turn to the person next to you and say ra'ah. And ra'ah literally means to see. Isaac, you don't see it, but God sees. I don't even know the answer to this test. But the God who sees us, he, he sees the answers. And in dramatic fashion, just as Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, again, this is the story they're not going to tell at Thanksgiving. A voice calls down and says, don't lay a hand on the boy. For now I know that you truly fear God. You would not withhold your only son. It's your only son from me. Your only son. Does this sound familiar? It tells us in that same chapter that just as that voice calls down and says, go ahead, look over, there's the sheep, and it, it's, it's, it's in the bush. The sheep was already there. God already saw it. That like God was already providing, God already saw it. Like, what's the test? Why would Abraham go? Because sometimes people hear this story and they think that just must mean that whatever God calls in your life, no matter how ridiculous it is, no matter how audacious it is, no matter how insane it is, no matter how irrational it is, you better go do it. Like, why would Abraham listen to this test? 
I mean, if Abraham, if Abraham was even a decent father, he wouldn't have gone through with the test, would he have? I mean, if he was a moral man, he would not have gone through with this test. There's no way he would have gone through with this test. And yet, he believed that God deserves to be honored. And so he's kind of in this conflict with himself. I love my son, but I love my God. And what's the real horror in this story? Like, what's the real horror? Like, what's the real tragedy? What's the real terror in this question, in this test that God is putting on Abraham's life? The real terror and the real question, the real horror, the real tragedy is God is either not a God of grace or God is not a God of justice. Because the justice is that God deserves the offering. God deserves the sacrifice. But the grace is that God will provide. That God will stick to his promises. God made a promise to Abraham. The promise was, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to make you a father of multitude of nations through this son. And so the terror is, God's not sticking to his promise. There's no point in any of this. Might as well eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, because I can't be with this God. And so Abraham is in this conflict with himself as he's walking up. He's like, I owe this to God. I owe God. I have to be with God. I, I, God demands my respect. And yet at the same time, he walks up in hope. Abraham does not walk up that mountain if he's a good father believing that his son will be sacrificed. And he also doesn't walk up that mountain without hope. The only way that Abraham walks up that mountain is if he believes that it's just crazy enough to be possible that the God of justice is also the God of grace. That the God of justice is also the God of mercy. And he may not be able to see it yet, but he knows that the God who provides is the God who sees. The God who unlocks the answers that we believe that we'd never be able to lay our eyes on. He trusts that God. God says, you wouldn't withhold your son, your only son from me. Now, you know how disgusting and offensive and disturbing this story feels. I think it's supposed to feel like that. Because many years later, many years later, God would take his own son up a mountain in the book of Romans, it says, He is in God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you want to be so bothered and disturbed by the scene that you see in Genesis? It actually happened. Someone actually went through with it. Someone actually finished the test, but it wasn't Abraham and Isaac wasn't the lamb. The creator of the universe went through with it on himself. There are tests that we might even get to the end of our life to and not have the answers for. Can you still trust through that test? Because for the rest of Abraham's life, what do you think he thought when God said, hey, Abraham, got another call for you? How would he ever even dare to pick up that phone? to answer that call? How would he ever answer that again? See, we have such a privilege when we live that when we look through these stories of the Bible and also when we look through the stories of all of history, we see it through the lens of the cross. And if Abraham could float through time and show up on that mountain where not his son, but God's son is sacrificed, 
Yes, God's only son. He'd say, now I see. The scene, the test, it wasn't about me, but it, it pointed to my need for you. Are you bothered and disturbed and disgusted by the potential horror of the loss of an innocent son? Well, then we're starting to understand what God did for us. Every few years, I bring up this story because I think that it, it just really drives the point home, and, and I'd, I'd like to do that now. This is disturbing. This is bothersome. It may make you feel uncomfortable, but... Remember what really happened. There was once a, once a bridge spanned with a large river. During most days, and during most of the day, the bridge sat with its length running up and down the river, parallel with the banks, allowing ships to pass freely on both sides of the bridge. But at certain times each day, a train would come by, and the bridge would be turned sideways so that a train could cross through it. A switchman sat in a small shack on one side of the river where he operated the controls to turn the bridge and lock it into place as the train crossed. One evening, while the switchman was waiting for the last train of the day, he looked off into the distance through the dimming twilight and caught sight of the train lights. Per usual, he stepped to the controls and waited until the train was within a specified distance, and that's when he was to turn the bridge. He turned the bridge into position, but to his horror, he found the locking control on the far side of the bridge was not working. If the bridge was not securely locked, it would wobble back and forth at the ends, and when the train came to it, it would cause the train to jump the track and cross the river. Worse still, this was a passenger train with many people aboard. Instinctively, he ran across the bridge to the other side of the river where there was a manual lock. He could apply to hold the bridge tracks in place. Now, he would have to hold the lever firmly as the train crossed. He could hear the rumble of the train now. As he took hold of the lever and applying the pressure to keep the mechanism locked, he leaned backward with his full weight to the lever. Many lives depended on this man doing the right thing. Many lives depended on this man's strength. Many lives depended on this man's ability to keep the bridge locked. Then, coming across the bridge from the direction of his control shack, he heard a sound that made his blood run cold. Daddy, where are you? His four-year-old son was crossing the bridge to look for him. His first impulse was to cry out to the child, run, run! But the train was too close and the tiny legs would never make it across the bridge in time. The man almost left his lever to run and grab his son and carry him to safety, but he realized that he could not get back to the lever in time. Either the people on the train or his son would die. And he had only a moment to make his decision. The train sped safely and swiftly on its way, and no one aboard was even aware of the tiny boy thrown merciless, mercilessly into the river by the onrushing train. Nor were they aware of the pitiful figure of the sobbing man still clinging tightly to the locking lever long after the train had passed. 
they didn't see him walking home more slowly than he had ever walked to tell his wife about their son, how he died so that others may live. So if you can imagine the emotions that went through this man's heart, you can begin to understand the feelings of our father in heaven when he sacrificed his son to bridge the gap between us and eternal life. Is it any wonder that he caused the earth to tremble and the skies to darken when his son died? How do you think God feels when we speed along through life without giving a thought to what he did by sending us his son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could live? You want to trust through the test? Remember the son. He passed the test. I don't want you to feel shame about it because God doesn't want you to feel shame about it. But how about we just let that scene sink in? I mean, how horrible and offensive and disturbing and disgusting the scene is for a father to give up his own son. But for the love of us, that's exactly what God did. He passed the test. And so you may look at the test and be like, I can't obey God through this. Listen, you don't obey God because you try harder. You don't obey God because you will yourself to it. You obey God out of a response to his love. You obey God because you can obey God because he's made it possible for us to obey God. You can trust through the test because his son has passed the test for us.